count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of... Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. You have found Daniel Donato's Lost Highway. That lost highway. Howdy, y'all. We are here, episode 46 of the Lost Highway podcast. I am Daniel Donato, and this is the podcast of all things cosmic country. So, I am in uh, this month's issue of Guitar Player Magazine. Uh, The article is entitled Cosmic Career, written by Mr. Michael Ross. Shout out to All Eyes Media, Jim Flamia, rock and roll, uh, for helping secure this. And now, why this is cool is not for selfish indulgence of, hey, I'm in a magazine, but for actually uh, the, the opposite of, it was right around 10 years ago, I was carrying Guitar Player Magazine around in the halls of Independence High School, hoping that just being so happy that guitar would be my career one day. And now the article is entitled Cosmic Career. It's just, uh, it's beautiful when you can see little signs throughout the simulation, uh, almost of a, a reassurance that if you are patiently persistently and positively pursuing your full potential and whatever your authentic desire is, then you're going to discover who you are, which is the most important thing. You're going to constantly keep on discovering that there's more to discover. And the more that you know, the more that you learn that there that you don't know. And it's that kind of weird thing. Um, it's not about the, 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 the petty nature of a magazine, but it's very cool. It's very cool that, uh, feel like I'm on the right track. That's what I'm saying. And you, you're probably, you're on the right track too. Just relax. It's all right. Check this out real quick though. Here's a weird thought. This is, this is kind of freaking me out y'all. They say those that can't do teach and okay, whatever. That might be true with some like high school gym coaches, but I can do, and I can teach this time last year, we sold out the most tickets to a show that we've ever done, which is on a lot, just under 300 Raleigh, North Carolina. I can't go do that right now, though, because of COVID. So I can't do. So they, they might have something on me in regards to 2021. But I've been teaching a lot. And check it out. I'm doing over 100 guitar lessons in this month. And if there's one thing that I've learned is that if you can explain things simply enough to where you can say the concept to anybody in under two minutes and that they can be on the train with you of understanding, and check this out, if you can put your ego aside enough to try to teach and uh, take the time to explain what you're doing and compartmentalize it to another human, you can actually gain the benefit of discovering what they are discovering, something that you're teaching. So you're rediscovering discovery. How magic is that? I didn't know music ran that deep, but it does. And it's freaking crazy. So I'm showing people things that would be, you know, monolithic in terms of, of how important these concepts are to me musically, but I, I've had great familiarity with these concepts for years now. I've tested them on stage hundreds of times, so I get it. But I get to rediscover that these are new tools for people, and that, to me, re-engages the magic of the basics that are in music and re-engages the magic that's always around in the reality around us. You're just not staying in touch with it, probably because of your ego. You're going too fast. You're being too concerned with your own expectations of yourself. And you're just thinking too much about what something should be as opposed to seeing for what it really is, which is that's only what you can do when you're trying to learn something is to see it for what it really is. Otherwise, you're not really learning, right? So it's a very crazy thing. The more time that we spend understanding something, a lot of the time we start changing it to something that we expect it to be as opposed to what it is in reality. 
like a musical scale, just to rediscover the basic simplicity of a musical scale again. Oh, it's so refreshing just running exercises with people and getting back to the basics. So what I am saying, y'all, is that if you can't do right now, go back to the basics. Be able to explain what you might be thinking is complex in a simple way and rediscover the magic that is found in basicness, right? Not like a simp, like they say on TikTok. I don't know about that. Also, this video we posted at Robert's Western World the other day on TikTok is getting like 12,000 views in 10 hours or something crazy like that. Y'all go check it out. Thank you guys so much. Stay patient, stay persistent, stay positive. Buy one of these hats that we have right here. They're going on for sale soon. Cosmic Country Club. Thank you guys. Back when Nam was a thing, I was at Nam with uh, Taylor Guitars doing a showcase with my friend Zane Carney, who's also been on this podcast and is coming back on, and who came on right after us uh, was this astounding bluegrass guitarist named Trey Hensley. And uh, I went down the rabbit hole on YouTube uh, discovering his work that very night in Anaheim, California. And ever since then, I've been just a massive fan. So he lived here in town. I saw that he had an interest in Air Jordans, much like I do. And I saw that he has a fantastic taste in music. So I had to sit down with this guy and get his story. Turns out he's a genius. No surprise. I hope y'all really do dig this very cosmic conversation with Mr. Trey Hensley. I think last year? Yeah. Uh, at Taylor. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Were you playing? You were playing? Yeah, I think we played right, right, either before or right after you did, man. After, I think. And I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, too, so, man, it's oh, great. Really? Great to get to meet you, and, oh, and uh, yeah, we haven't picked any, but, you know, I love your playing. And, we'll have to before. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> I've never actually played guitar with somebody on the podcast, but I was thinking, man, if there's anyone that I should do it with, it's got to be Trey, because <laughs> you just have this way of being able to play with other artists, obviously, because you do a great job at supporting other players, but then you do your own thing which is like that's a very hard feat to go about doing uh man yeah it's it's that's kind of the most fun for me is like you know playing with other people and um, yeah i mean it's funny i grew up not doing that because i was the only one that played in my family and you know it's like i shouldn't have anybody to play with but now that i have you know that's my favorite part of it because i hate playing by myself <laughs> so. it's, it's literally so hard to make music by yourself like that was the thing like everyone's talking about like Man, how are the live stream things going? And it's like when you're just sitting in your room, like <laughs> yeah. right here. They suck. That's how they're going. <laughs> <laughs> they really do suck. Like they're very hard to like they generate are. that energy. And, and it's uh, weird, man. Well, I mean, you know, I've been trying to do them. I've been doing like a weekly live stream thing when I can. Yours are great. Um, and they sort of became like this thing that my daughter enjoys more than anything. Like she looks forward to live stream week because she comes up and she wears a princess dress and gets to do a couple songs and she yeah. loves it. But it was a big learning curve, and it's for me just like my weekly time to play guitar. <laughs> it's like that's oh. it makes me like sit down, and I know that there's people watching, and you know, I actually play because it's been so weird. I mean, you know, normally I'm on the road, uh, you know, playing 100 dates a year or something, oh, and yeah, you know, great. so it's like that's so fun, you know. What do you do when you don't have that? <laughs> you just you, you sit up in your music room and play to whoever will watch on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's great. It's the thing too where it's like, um, there was a little while there, maybe like two, three weeks, where I was thinking like music was the cause in a bad way. 
Yeah. Like to this whole pandemic that's going on. And then yeah. like, you know, quickly after I learned it's like, no way is music going away. <laughs> yeah. Like think of how can't. much music's endured. Yeah, I know. Through, like way worse than COVID-19. Yeah. Like if you even look at like the uh, flu of 1917, like 635,000, you know, just Americans alone died. And it's like, that's like the amount of Americans that have died in, in like all of the wars. Yeah. Something crazy like that. I know, man. It's nuts. And it's like, man, we're not even close to that, really. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, you think of all the, I mean, especially like bluegrass, you know, uh, which is my background, but you think of all those fiddle tunes that came out of the Civil War, you know, and it's like all these songs have wow. been, yeah, and it's like most of the fiddle tunes came from that, <laughs> that era, and then they've yeah. just morphed into whatever they are now. But, you know, God, to be right in the middle of the, the Civil War and be able to write a kick-ass fiddle tune is <laughs> holy yeah. shit you have no excuse to not write fiddle tunes in the middle <laughs> of the civil right. war <laughs> fiddle's uh, so hard too like, i know yeah impossibly hard instrument there's not a uh there's not a middle ground into being good at fiddle, and being bad at fiddle <laughs> it's so it's, true it's, i feel like pedal steel and like banjo are also that way it is man yeah it's like there's no such thing as an okay pedal steel player either you suck or you're good at it you know it's real it's the thing real. about guitar too that's a little misleading is like sometimes that's like not the case it's like the people who really think like a good guitar player is it's like that guy's not really yeah <laughs> yeah like nick jonas doing there's, that there's a level of faking you can do with guitar <laughs> that you can't pull off on fiddle that's what i respect about your craft though my friend that you know so i grew up here in town and i've been going to the station in forever because you don't have to be 21 yeah yeah um i've been going there for you know 12 13 years now and man i i always just remember like these old guys showing up in their with those coffin cases. Yeah. And they would, they go up and there's just like a fucking sure SM57. <laughs> just like, yeah, you man. don't even know if it's hot. And then Michael Bubb back on that stand up. Yeah, man. And it's like, you know, who's playing with Sturgill now? Yeah. Which is an amazing game. Yeah. I remember like Sierra Hole would get up and play. It's like, who, what is going on? Like, they don't have effects. They don't got nothing. Yeah, man. I would go check what their pedal board is and it was the rug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is going on? That craft is insanely hard. It's tough, man. I mean, I'm to the point now where I'm, I kind of went the opposite direction of that as soon as I found a pickup that actually worked in my guitar. Now, you can right. pay me to go on a 57 now. <laughs> I mean, used to is like, and I know you get the good tone or whatever, but, and then, yeah, I mean, I play electric too. And so it used to be my electric board is just this huge sure. monstrosity of, of effects. And now it's like two pedals. And my acoustic board is this huge monstrosity of effects. You were using like a Q-Tron? Yeah. I use all kinds of dumb shit. <laughs> it's, it's cool, right? <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. It's great. I mean, I took everything from my electric board. And it was one of those, I would just take one pedal at a time, like put it on my acoustic board and then take it out on the road, see if it worked. And most of the time it did, you know. I mean, I've even got like a fuzz now on my acoustic, which basically I'll just use to freak out the sound guy every now and then. <laughs> you know, it sounds terrible. Yeah. There's no good use for it. But uh, <laughs> actually, I just, I mean, I'm so out of practice with it that I played some gigs at the Ryman with old Crow Medicine Show uh, over New Year's Eve. How'd that go? It went great, man. But yeah, during one of my solos, I went, because I've got a boost pedal, and I went to click the boost pedal, and I clicked my fuzz pedal for about two seconds. and. <sighs> Yeah, just like this huge roar of, you know, fuzz came back. But oh, fuck. I don't think anybody noticed. <laughs> uh, that's so two things that are good to unpack there. It's like most people don't notice anything. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good way to put that. <laughs> it's really true. It is. And man. like that allows you to kind of relax and be like, most of the things that I'm worried about are very like ego focused. And I yeah. don't need to sweat those things. 
And two, it's like how I always think about like I identify a professional as not the person who does mess up, but the person who recovers from inaccuracy the fastest. Yeah. Because it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. <laughs> That's like right. When your dumbass is going to hit the wrong pedal or exactly. when I hit the wrong notes and like I start in the wrong key or like yeah. sing the worst thing is like singing like the wrong verse, the wrong chorus. <laughs> yeah. It's bad now, man, because it's like I used to know all these songs. I haven't played them in, you know, I haven't played anything in a year. And then, yeah, when I do these live streams, most of the time I'll just do like requests or whatever. So I have my iPad there, you know, if I need a song. Oh, and so it's like I'll just cheat, you know. And That's then great. so now when I'm getting in the real world of, I have to remember lyrics and it's like, oh God, well, how did I do this a year ago? It's, you know, it's yeah. one of those things you got to keep in practice that. I didn't realize you had to keep in practice until. Very true. Like being a musician can be like being an athlete. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you got to keep on that stuff, man. Yeah, man. You said like uh, you guys are doing some shows at the Ryman. What was the vibe there? You know, it was fun. Were it there was, people? Yeah, there were um, whatever it is now, like 20%. Or, Great. Um, and I'm so, glad they're doing that. I think yeah. the first show they did was like Clint Black. I know. That's Something what I real heard. Funny. It was, uh, real 90s. And funny. then, yeah, like they did one thing and then they didn't do anything for a while. So I wondered uh, how it went, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there were four shows. And I think at least three of them were like sold out, but I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know if it's like I heard 500 and then I heard 300. So I don't know what the. So pretty good. That's, that's great. That that's, makes me so happy. <laughs> I mean, it's just nice to see feel you know that that warm bodies out in the audience you know it's like that vibe is unmatched i mean we've played some gigs we played uh, rob and i played city winery first of the month last month i guess oh wow and um, outside yeah the little uh whatever they call that the wine garden or whatever yeah yeah um and it was great man it was um you know whatever that capacity there is but uh obviously much smaller than the ryman capacity but um but it was great, you know. But then that was the first time I've played for two hours with, you know, Bub and uh, John Alvey, who plays drums with us. And yeah, man. Man, with Rob, that gig is just so physical. Just because it's like, you know, we're it's just the two of us. And so, you know, every other solo is is me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's it's a very – and my, my arms were just like the next day totally toasted. You know? <laughs> Like man, I, dude, I've been getting on those. Uh, you can see them right there. I got these forearm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have been getting hard on that game just yeah. whenever I'm killing time driving. That's smart, man. It's wild because, like, I'm I'm 20. I'll be 26 in April, and I've been playing professionally all the time yeah. for about 12 years. Yeah. And I'm starting to feel. <laughs> it's, like it's, I, I just turned 30 a few months back. and uh, Right on. And that's been my thing is, like, you know, up until – about a year ago. And then, and this duo thing is a lot, has been a lot more like strenuous than any of the other gigs that I've done, even like full band. Yeah. Why is that? It's just, I don't know. It seems like there's nothing to really hide behind was just, and I know you've, you know, played duo and, and stuff. So it's like, there's nothing. You, you're just there. The less people there are, that's the less you got to hide behind. The most real thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the thing too, where it's like, I feel like it's like, that way of playing music, I also enjoy because there's either you did the work or you didn't. It's kind of binary yeah. <laughs> yeah. in that way. It's, it's like, like it's cheating on an algebra test or something. <laughs> you, know, you, can't, you can't really do it, you know, if you're uh, 
And so, yeah, it's, uh, but then luckily that city winery gig was a full band. So I, Ooh, yeah. I was able That's to great. turn up, you know, um, you slay it, man. You have a really innovative oh, way of approaching the, the art of bluegrass guitar in, in general. You know, it's fun. I, I just like to, I like to do all kinds of different stuff. And so I think that, you know, and bluegrass has been cool to, it seems like it's always expanding whether or not. You know, there's always the groups that don't want to expand or, you know, want to play like anything. It. Yeah, it's just like country yeah. or, or jazz or anything. You know? There's so much. I was reading Buck Owens' book, you know, 27 number one songs, and it's like <laughs> fucking insane. People were saying he was too poppy. Yeah, I mean, at the time, yeah. it's like he was extremely poppy. Yeah. He was collaborating with like the Beatles. Yeah, and it's like that's basically like the same thing as like Kane Brown doing songs with Marshmallow, <laughs> yeah, or like I Diplo mean. doing shit with Morgan Wallen. It's like the same thing. And I don't get why people like aren't being like studious and being like this has always been happening. Like there's nothing new. Yeah, it is, man. It's it it you know. And I'm I'm a bad. Uh, you got to run the jewels on hoodie. Yeah. Like, see, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> you got Jordan threes on. I'm wearing Birkenstocks that my hey, grandfather that, gave me. Not nearly great, as man. cool though. Man. That's it's great. Like, <laughs> that's the vibe that like, I like seeing that. Like that's the thing I've always loved about country and bluegrass is like the younger generations that go to pick it up. They aesthetically advance it and they also sonically advance it to make it more accessible to people that are in our age range. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Like, you know, with, uh, we were talking about, you know, Sierra Hole. Yeah, it's like she does all kinds of stuff and, um, you know, very, just really expands on the genre. Dude. I mean, it's like bluegrass mandolin will never be the same, you know, because of her and Chris Thiele and, and those players like that, you know. I can't wrap my mind around Chris Thiele. I, just, I <laughs> yeah. get it, man. That was the first musician I went and saw him at the Skirmer Horn years ago. Oh, yeah. Solo. And he brought oh, out wow. like a like an easel. That he was like, this is how the show's gonna go. And he explained <laughs> the show and he was doing like only box sonatas. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm gonna go a little bluegrass. He goes, I'm gonna piss off Bill Monroe. <laughs> and then he goes, I'm gonna bring it back to Bach. Oh, man. And he explained it. And it was like, I've never seen somebody explain how the show is gonna go. Yeah, that's. And just effortless. He had like a lore or something. Yeah. No, it might have been like, yeah, you know, ridiculous. And um, for everyone who doesn't know what those are, just, you know, what is like $300,000, man? Yeah, they're absurd. crazy, man. And I love there's a documentary about Chris and the Punch Brothers. Oh, yeah, um, how to grow a band. Yeah, that's it, how to grow a band. Dude. It's amazing, man. I just love that they stuck to it. Because, I mean, at a certain point, you'd think, you know, if people aren't getting it or whatever, that when you're on stage, like, there's that certain level of, well, oh, shit, I better bring it back, you know? And, and you know, I, I've felt that a little bit with you know playing with rob because he's from you know he played played in blue highway with forever and mm -hmm. and they're a great you know band of, like a lot of traditional bluegrass stuff and i mean they're they're very progressive in that world but the stuff we did was is kind of all over the map you know and, oh yeah and so there's sometimes that we'll get some very traditional bluegrass people there but nothing like that documentary where it's like you know oh, they, were. they just went out there and did you know a set of nothing but classical music to people that were expecting, you know, pig in a pen and, and stuff Salt like Creek. that, you know. Yeah. And that's so, I mean, it's so amazing that they stuck with it and, you know, we're all better for it and we're all thankful that they did because the music that they've done has just been incredible. But yeah, Chris and, and Sierra and all, all the, this generation of bluegrassers and acoustic yeah. music just seem like we're kind of all on the same page of, hey, we love everything that's before, but, you know. Keep it going. The thing that I don't get is like, I wonder why. Like, I'm always thinking, like, it's very easy to see, like, why 
like Travis Scott is successful. But it's like I don't quite understand why bluegrass and like Americana music is starting to become more successful. I think what it is is because it's literally just like nothing but the truth. Yeah. It's like literally that's all it is. It's like an yeah. amazing story with lyrics and it's an amazing story with instrumentation. Yeah. Because when you play, like you're telling the story of who Trey is. Like when you you have that blue chip pick and you got like your right pickup <laughs> and you got your shit straightened out. Also, you can communicate like who you are as a person through your notes. Like that's so truthful. Yeah. I think it's like literally just like the truth, like reliving or like um, almost like a renaissance of that. Yeah. In some way. I think so, man. I think it, you know, it's people pick up on, on that type of thing, you know, wow. the, the real stuff kind of sticks out. And, uh, I mean, you know, there, they're always going to be the, the bullshit that's there, you know, but I, I don't think it's as long lasting, you know, as, as stuff that, and maybe it's, you know, doesn't skyrocket like the bullshit does, but, right. you know, well, there, yeah. there'll always be, you know, people out there looking for the real, real deal stuff. And um, yeah, yeah, it's easy to pick up on, you know. Right. For sure. It's crazy to see, like, how Chris Thiele, like, and also, like, everything that, like, Nickel Creek was kind of, like, started that whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And then also, like, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's, like, all, like, around the same time when, like, that whole, like, renaissance of, like, American yeah. String music kind of like came back again. The big Bang, or you know, it's like the, the fourth oh, wow. Big Bang of bluegrass <laughs> music. It just keeps keeps resurfacing. But yeah, I think that changed it all, man. And yeah, I definitely legitimized it, and you know, showed that it wasn't. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I don't know how people. I'm sure there was reasons that it got the whole. Sure. You know, right. The the vibe of just being mountain people or what, and you know that, that that's obviously always going to be a part of it, but. Yeah, Nickel Creek definitely slicked it up, and you know yeah. it was on CMT, and I remember right. seeing that as you know a ten year old kid when they came out. You know, it's like, oh, cool, I play guitar, and he plays guitar. And Did that inspire you? Was that part of why you wanted to go do music as a career? Was it kind of the thing where it's like, oh, this is what I'm always gonna do? Like, yeah, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I was so different than I am now in like that I, all I listened to was tr like old music you know and I still for the most part I'm bad about not branching out within my genre or you know just like listening to you know 50s and 60s jazz all the time that's the and that'll be all I, I listen to you know it, dude. and you yeah. know it's just but especially then it's like all I listen to is Flat and Scruggs you know if it, if it wasn't Flat and Scruggs have then, you listened to live in Nashville Flat and Scruggs I haven't I haven't heard oh, that oh dude they do like Nashville blues they do like oh my god so amazing album yeah I'll have to get that one because I I mean I, I was way into them that was I, mean, I spent a lot of time with my granddad which was the reason that I started playing you know? oh sure and um, he didn't play none of my family played but he just really liked music and had a, a huge record collection no one in my family really played my dad picked a little but never played on stage Nothing yeah, like that. that's the same for me, man. My dad played banjo, um, and he quit. So did mine. Probably, you know, like when I was four or five, he sold his banjo, and yeah. and I think he probably had enough. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, I remember him being pretty good at, at playing, you know. But I think he, you know, he's a mechanic, and he just didn't, once he got home, didn't have time to, Dude. you know, I'm sure having a you know, four-year-old didn't. Because <laughs> having a four-year-old or having a five-year-old, I understand that there's not a lot of time for sitting around and learning. You are busy stuff. till your last breath. Your time is spoken for. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know why, what drew me into just those Flat and Scruggs records, but that was all, it, you know, that's all I was into. And then, 
then came Tony Rice, and that Dude. that was what. I mean, that's that his music expanded everything for me. I mean, that's the reason I listened to most of the stuff I listen to now. You he kind of seems like the Hendrix of bluegrass. Yeah, for sure, man. Like he was the guy. He was it. I mean, he changed everything. Yeah, for for every guitar player, for sure. But I mean, even you think of like him and Sam Bush, and, yeah, man. You know, Bela and, and Jerry and. Um, even J.D. Crow and Skaggs, you know, those guys oh, all dude. around that same time. But especially, you know, like Sam Bush and... and the Bluegrass album band. Yeah, I mean, you know, it just everybody in that era was just... You know, if, if we think we're really progressive, those guys were... I mean, Tony Ross yeah. must have sounded like, you know... Hendrix, you know, it must have just been like this world-changing thing in 1975 to hear. Was he 75? Yeah. Well, I mean, My you know, God, that that uh, J.D. Crow in New South, I think, was 1975. And then, um, yeah, man, it's that's Holy hard to believe shit. that it's like, it seems like, because he was so, I mean, you know, it's like in, all throughout the 80s and the 90s, had all those great records. Um, he was a very busy dude. Yeah. A lot of, a huge catalog of, and so many different things. I mean, that's the reason I even listened to jazz was, you know, I went to Tony Rice show and he talked about John Coltrane. What do you have and to say about Coltrane? So he did, he kicked the show off and he played Jimmy Martin's Big Country, which is a one. really obscure Jimmy Martin tune. I it's basically Jimmy just Martin's chord changes, like, you know. Dude, his like uh, King of Bluegrass series on yeah. YouTube is so funny. The one he made himself. <laughs> That's so the one good. he punches a goat in, I think, yes, if sir. I'm not mistaken. <laughs> He's a crazy, he was a, a uh, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously the man, but uh, yeah, he, so <laughs> the, uh, I forget what I was saying, but yeah, the, I was thinking about the punching the goat thing that. The punch the goat will take you off. You you run the jewels, punch the goat. It's a two step process. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? Uh, Tony Rice had something to say. Oh yeah, so he had so so he did that Jimmy Martin song, and then he uh, the second song was uh, my favorite things. Oh wow! You know, like this fourteen minute version of it, and uh, I'd never heard anything like that. And he got done, you know, and and he had already lost his voice at this point. Oh yeah. And he said um, something like, "Yeah, that first piece was." uh, uh, Jimmy Martin tune, and the, the second one was uh, by the great John Coltrane. And so I looked everywhere for John Coltrane. You know, I just had to hear who this was, and I didn't know anything about him. Right. You know, this was this would have been two thousand two. So at my house, pre-internet. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know? And uh, so I finally <laughs> found a CD at Circuit City that had John Coltrane's name on it, oh. and it was Miles Davis, uh, Kind of Blue. Yeah, man. And I freaking hated that record, babe, yeah. just because it. Did, I was expecting to hear this, like, hotshot guitar player, because it's <laughs> like, well, Tony's into it, so it must be. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, it finally clicked, and it's like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. But, yeah, for I mean, that if, thing it is. If it wasn't, yeah. you know, for Tony, I would have never... Probably never, you know. I, I don't know how I would have stumbled down that road. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, he was kind of the guy that was like, "Wow." Well, he listens to all this stuff, right? And he, I think it was really cool because he was always digging deep. You know, I, heard, I think I heard him talk about that. At, I forget where, but it was like, you know, he would listen to these people and then find out who their influences were, and you know, just dig that way. And so it's like, yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. That's the cool way to do it, man. It really is because, like, also allows you to like sift through what works for you and what doesn't. Exactly. You yeah, know? that was how I got directly into country music. Was like YouTube. I think it was like Tommy Emanuel doing something like Guitar Boogie, like an Arthur yeah. Smith song. I'm like, well, he's like, what's CGP? 
<laughs> it was like yeah. certified guitar player. It's like, well, who has the ego to say that? It's like, well, Chet Atkins. It's like, who's Chet Atkins? You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that okay, guy can that certify people. If he wants. Yeah. That, uh, he's the only one. He's really, <laughs> dude, that's what I was thinking. Like, I've been writing over at RCA a couple days a week. My buddy Chandler Brown, he's got an office there. Uh-huh. And we just go through the halls and they, it's everything, Chet. Like, yeah, man. He owned that place, basically. He was yeah. the motherfucker. Yeah, like, he, I mean, like, found Waylon. Yeah. Like, there was no other guitar player that, like, had that big of an imprint as a producer. Yeah. And, like, just overall music business mogul, like yeah. Chet Atkins. And it's like, you see all these people now being, like, musicians, like, having their own clothing line, having their own <laughs> record label. And it's like, they have their own guitars. It's like, Chet was doing that shit in the 70s. Yeah, man. I mean, the, the Nashville sound was Chet. You yeah. Know? It's like, how? And just think of, I mean, you know, love it or hate it. Because it was definitely different, you know. It's like a lot of lame yeah. records that came from. That Obviously, era. Yeah, yeah. It's like it didn't work for, and you know, Waylon and Willie kind of rebelled against that, which oh, was yeah. cool, you know. And that's the the reason we have a lot of the great stuff we have, you know, Dude. is because of that. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I mean, God, that that guy was another one that must not have slept, you know. Chet, he just Whoa. he must have yeah. just been working all the time, you know. Is that something that, like, uh, I'm very interested in people's processes and, like, work ethic when it comes to music. And it's, like, obviously, like, the last year doesn't reflect, like, well, probably what any of us do because we don't tour a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, like, what's your philosophy to, like, practicing and, like, working and, and, and learning? I'm more of a, uh, I'm, you know, it's like I, I like to work all the time, but not necessarily. I don't practice that much. Like, for especially in, in mine and Rob's gig, which has been my main gig, um, for the past four or five years, you know, and we travel all, you know, all the Over time the basically. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where you, you need to ride in a car and you know, it's like you, you get in the car and you ride for eight hours and then you get to the gig, you do sound check, you might have a chance to eat a bite and then yeah. you go play the gig. And yeah, it's like somewhere in the, in there, there's no room for practicing. And, um, but this past year I've been trying to work on that. It's like, I need to, you know, but I feel like on stage, because I don't ever, you know, and I feel like guitar players especially, we don't, it's all about improvising and yeah, pushing yeah. everything. And so I learn a lot on stage about, you Being know, what works stage. and what doesn't work. And um, and I just like to push myself a bunch when I'm out on stage, most of the time. Um, and so that's, I consider that practice, you know, really quote unquote. Is. But um yeah, so my my work ethic for the practice is still a little to be desired, but that's uh, all good. You know, it's the other side of it, and then you know I do a lot of sessions when I'm in town, and I just try to keep as busy as I can. Yeah, and because uh, I remember you know not doing this for a main gig, and I, I don't ever want to not do this for oh, for my gig. You what know? were you doing before? Were you just working? I, I had one other gig for. No time, you know. <laughs> You're too good to not have a gig. It sucked, like, yeah. yeah. I hated it so much. And then, so I, uh, it didn't last any time. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> That's I, real. I'm, I'm on the uh, no plan B route now. <laughs> so, yeah, like, man. Well, I think there's a lot of action that comes out of the no plan B route. Like any hero I've ever sat down and, and, and spoken with, hey, <laughs> yeah. The thing that's weird about music too, it's like really like I don't know if it's this way, like if you're like an investment banker or something. And not I have friends who are that and I have friends who um, you know, they all they do all day is, is day trade, or I have friends that are 
you know, uh, pediatricians. And it's like their career calling is way different than music. Like music's yeah. a weird thing in that way. It is. Where it's like it kind of finds you and that's what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. It's like sometimes no. it's hard. It's, yeah. It's not an it's, easy gig to have. Yeah, it's exactly right. You know, it's like if, if you're an investment banker and it doesn't work out, you can always do something else. Yeah. But you're just going to feel unfulfilled if you're a, you know, if you're a musician and you don't get to do that. Yeah, um, there's that weird sense of self-worth yeah. that's attached to your like success at the instrument in some way. Exactly. Yeah, and it's uh and it's different for everybody, you know. Obviously, you know, you're not everybody's going to be the hugest thing on the planet and that's okay, you know. That it's really like, is. It for, I feel like for musicians it's more about yeah, getting your craft down on your instrument and um and that I don't feel like I'm ever there, you know. And that's that's the for me, I feel like it's the best way to be, and it's you know, it's yeah. like I'm. So then, even though you beat yourself up a lot, <laughs> do you find like when you're playing at the Ryman on a live stream, are you able to let go of that vibe? Man, I'm not. You- I used to be able to a little <laughs> bit, but um, yeah, I feel like it's always there these days. Like I'm, I don't know. I constantly sort of, and it, not in a bad way. I don't necessarily think I'll ask me in 15 years, you know, but. Sure, uh, right. I feel like, you know, I, I'm always hard on myself. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, well, for, for better or for worse, you know, I, I don't know what what that'll mean for mental health in, <laughs> in the long run. It's but weird. You know, it's a weird space. But, you know, I always like to be better. And um, and some nights I'll, you know, it, it's I'll accept it. But for yeah. the, 99% of them, it's like, you know, I'll just... You, kind of replay the show over and you think of the ones that you think of the moments that didn't work yeah you do a lot more than you think of the moments that do and like you said most people don't even notice you know so it's a weird thing it's like (laughs) I, i had this whole like um i got really obsessed with amazon like around christmas time because i was i heard i read like on my explore page on Instagram, it was something stupid. It was like Jeff Bezos <laughs> makes something like right under four thousand dollars a second, and I'm like, I'm like so wait, wait, that guy makes about like whatever how close that is to what I make in like a period of time. That is absurd. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, well, how'd this start? Like, how'd that start? Because yeah. like where we stop now is we see other people's achievements on social media, and we think it was always that way. Yeah. And then, like, you, no one does the back work and goes and sees, like, well, <laughs> no. what, what was it like when Jeff Bezos, like, had nothing? Yeah. And it's like, oh, so, like, there's, like, several pillars to Amazon that would actually, like, make a musician better. Yeah. And one of them is consumer centricity. Yeah. Being the most consumer centric um, experience that you can be. Whether yeah. you're, whether, like, you sell fucking pillow sheets and deliver them within three hours yeah. or you play guitar like nobody's business. <laughs> And I'm thinking, like, what's the most consumer-centric thing a musician can do? And it's like, oh, like, you got to think like a consumer first. You can't think like a guitar player. (laughs) And if, like, literally, man, I have people messaging me that they're, like, part of the Cosmic Country Club because we send updates all the time Uh about, like, hey, we think we're going to come tour here in May, and don't be surprised if we don't. But And they're like, yeah, I saw a show last year, and it was you. Yeah. And it's like the year before that, I saw three shows. It's like people don't nearly think about music as much as we do. So yeah. we shouldn't be like in our own heads about it so <laughs> much when we're playing. Because like the consumers aren't listening that yeah. intently. Like they're just there to, <laughs> I think the thing like our job is, first and foremost, is to be very joyous yeah. and joyful in where we're coming from. And it's really hard to do that when you like want to be good. 
I know it's difficult. It's a fucking weird. Game. It's a fine line of yeah. What parts do you let go of too? You know, it's like yeah. Wrong. I've been way into this record recently. It's a Dizzy Gillespie record called uh, "For Musicians Only." Okay, and so I, that just that title alone is kind of it's like that's sort of how I play. You know, it's like, and I'm sure that's it's the way for everybody. It's like you, you. Sometimes you, it seems like you're playing for the musicians out in the crowd who probably don't even like it anyway. You're, you know, are probably already hating you or it. You know, it's like, so why? Why? Why are you that concerned about it? As right. a, it's, I get it. It's it's a double edged sword. It's like you know, I understand it, and I don't know that I'm able to let go of it, even though I get it. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to. That's the challenge. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It, yeah, so I, I, seems like I hold myself more accountable than anybody else ever will by tenfold you know dude i think that's also so that's the weird thing i've been trying to get down to the bottom of which is like that very thing inside me is the reason why i'm able to communicate so clearly on the guitar yeah is that voice that's like no you're not good enough that internal audience i think yeah. is what it's called um it's like a real psychological term yeah um and everyone kind of has one it's like this barometer that we judge ourselves against not only against ourselves, but like everyone else that's like in a environment we're in. Yeah. The internal audience is very real. That's like the voice that's like, um, are your shoes untied? Cause you look like a fuck face. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, Hey, stop talking to me. Like, I don't need this shit right now. It's like, that's also the one where it's like, Oh, your guitar sounds like too high like yeah. right here. So like turn that shit down. <laughs> yeah. and it's like, well that you got to learn how to like work with that energy yeah because the consumers the listeners they really i think want us to be very happy and digging what we're doing yeah you know? <laughs> that's an important part of it's it weird you know? it's like i and that's the thing that i've been thinking a lot about it's like i think the musicians that make the biggest splash give the least fucks yeah that's that you know you're you're probably a hundred percent and yeah it's it at a certain point it's like you got to Find this juggling act of, you know, am I taking myself too seriously? Dude. Or am I taking myself not seriously That's enough? That's where psychedelics yeah. are the answer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's really true. Yeah, Dad had it figured out, man. <laughs> oh, man. So you got, like, I'm looking at your guitar case. You got so many dead stickers. The, the best one that I'm seeing is the Morning Dew looking like the Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah. And then the Sugary Supreme. Yeah, man. I think it's Nate Moonlife who did that one. It's like, I love that whole culture, man. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I I'm, I was late to the game on that, you know. But. Isn't that weird? Everyone says that, that yeah. I talk to, like, that are, that are especially around five years within my range. Yeah. Age. It's like, we didn't really have a chance to. Yeah, I mean, my parents weren't into that stuff at all, you know. There's that whole cultural disconnect, too. Yeah, that's it, you yeah. know. And it's still relevant, you know, that, that whole dead culture is still very, very relevant. And then, you know, now the dead and company and all the Dude, jam bands and, i can't believe dead um, go i know man. it was the best thing i've ever seen like, yeah I, I went to the one in nashville i guess when it was i don't know if it was still just dead or i remember that yeah, yeah. it About was like one of the first ago. five gigs you know they ever did and um well at bridgestone yeah it was I saw great that. man that was <laughs> fucking unreal <laughs> it was unreal yeah i didn't have any clue what to expect i stepped know? on some girl's pit bull I didn't even know. <laughs> Somebody brought their Somebody pit bull fucking brought to their Bridgestone. Pit bull to nice. Bridgestone Arena and she had like dreads on and the pit bull had on like a sublime sweatshirt. <laughs> I'm like, what am I? And I was so high. I oh, was just man. like, I was too high. My friend Kevin, I bought him tickets. He's like, oh, okay, well, we'll like, we'll, we'll get stoned before the show and <laughs> getting an Uber. 
And like, I got in the front seat of the Uber. It's like, <laughs> I was trying talking to this guy and I was way too high. Oh man. And I, I lost my tickets getting in there. It's like, all, again, that internal audience was just like gnarly to me. Being, being hard on you that night. Yeah. You're just like standing there thinking that 15,000 people are just looking at you. Yeah. I can't even enjoy Scarlet Begonias for like 30 seconds. I'm just way too stoned. Oh man. It was cool though. Man. Yeah. That was, that was a fun one. That was right around the time. Uh, I think that was a week before my daughter was born. Whoa. And, um, that was around, uh, what was that? October? Was, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Right. The, I think, but, the, right, maybe the beginning of November of 2015. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't even know that I was going until about a couple hours before I went with a buddy of mine. And, um, wow. But it was great, man. Yeah. And, what do you um, think of John Mayer's plan? He's great. You know, he's it's unreal. Killer. Yeah. He's amazing. It's fucking insane. I mean, I was a fan before I was, you know, went to that. Um, Me too. I, I, love, I love his music and you know, his unreal. plan. And, yeah. And, um, he was one of those, you know, I got in it, to, or I just randomly bought that live record that he did. Oh, Nokia thing. And it was, uh, you know, I was probably 13 or 14 when it came out. Perfect. And, you know, it was, it was, I love his playing. It's great. Yeah, dude. So, uh, and then that, you know. You had a daughter a week after that show. Yeah. <laughs> and so you were, what, 25? Yeah. Oh, my God. I was God, your age. Right. How terrifying is that? <laughs> it was, you know, I, I got married early, so. Um, okay. It was not as terrifying as You're it could have been. You know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's still terrifying, but yeah, not, I bet. It's gotta be. not as necessarily terrifying. As I got friends think. asking me all the time when I'm going to have a child. It's yeah. like, I get real. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's different for everybody, man. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I kind of always felt this weird mix between 13 and 82. You know, it's like I, I feel yeah. older than, wow. than I am, but yet totally immature. You know, so it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it made sense. But, yeah, so she was not – actually, she wasn't expected to be born until about a month later. And uh, wow. came a little early, but uh, right. right after the Dead & Company show. I don't think it had anything to do with the Dead & Company show. They didn't spur on. Oh, God. But, yeah, that's a, that was a cool show. And then, yeah, all the – I guess my introduction to that stuff was the Tony Rice and Jerry Garcia and David Grisman pizza, pizza tapes. tapes. Man, for everything, the thing that's so funny about the pizza tapes is that it literally was a dude delivering a pizza <laughs> just on his work, you know? He's just on his shift, and he's like, holy fuck. Yeah. This is Jerry fucking Garcia's <laughs> house right now. It's like the but, ultimate deadhead, unbelievable lucky experience this guy. Better steal some shit. <laughs> yeah, and that was his intuition. He's like, I'm going to grab that. Grab like, the I don't masters, care. man. <laughs> All right, dude. Unbelievable experience. I remember the way I got into the dead, like really, was um, a high school teacher of mine named Mr. Raglan came and saw me play at Robert's Western World one day. Uh -huh. I, I've played hundreds of shows there. And he came on like a Wednesday night, on like a school night. <laughs> yeah. And he came into the back door, like near the Ryman. Uh -huh. um, so I didn't see him. And then like the next day, he has like three binders that are probably like it, it may, eight, nine inches high. All full of CDs, wow. all just dead bootlegs. He's like, I just, uh, I transferred all my CDs over to a hard drive and <laughs> I need you to listen to these and never bring them back to me again. Wow. Because I need you to learn what all this is about and study it uh, and learn oh, man, it and love cool. it. And I didn't even know what it was. Nothing said dead on it. It just said like dicks pics. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like is this appropriate for yeah. a teacher to be giving to me right now? Like, what is, this? is it nice? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Should I tell my parents about this? <laughs> and then I saw pizza tapes. 
And man, I turned it on and it just blew my mind. It's like yeah. I, I couldn't believe how malleable bluegrass was. Cause I already loved country and western bluegrass like already. Yeah. Um, like Gypsy, remember that band? Oh yeah, man. They were like, I've been playing with them already for years, and we do like we playing down on Broadway, we do Dark Side of the Moon and Uncle Penn. Yeah. <laughs> and it'd be like that whole concept of getting spacey. Yeah, is man. Already there, but I didn't know that the dead were a thing, and I didn't realize that the dead were directly birthed from the energy that is bluegrass. Yeah. And it's like, that's such, Friend of the Devil makes sense. Yeah. And American Beauty makes total sense. After yeah. That. You know, I read that, I guess that one and Working Man's Same here. was, uh, you know, kind of directly inspired by Don Rich, you know, and that really kind of makes sense too, because yeah, think of the tones on like, you know, new speedway boogie or something. And oh, it's very, yeah. it's a little more trebly than, than Jerry was, you know, a few years later. And yeah. it's, it just sounds a little like a telly into a twin, you know? Yeah, it does. Um, but it's funny, you know, I wonder if the pizza tapes would have came out regardless, you know, cause I don't know if, you know, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but Tony was a little looser than normal, you know. Very all over the place. Like he's all off time. Yeah, I'm thinking he might be high as fuck. There are pictures from the, you know, and I don't know Tony's. I don't. I, I never knew, you know. I, I know that he eventually sobered up, but I don't know what he did, you know, as far as oh. drugs. But there's a great picture of Tony with a, uh, like a white. Uh, towel over his head with the headphones on. and it's just this great he's got a pair of dark sunglasses on <laughs> and you never see him like you know it's like it's if you see Tony Rice it's always that suit you know suit and tie right and, what's the deal with the formality of bluegrass you know I have and no like, clue I don't it's like you break it down you're like no fuck it I'm gonna wear blue <laughs> jeans and Jordan 3s <laughs> And I'm going to pick this G, C, D, F, like, I wouldn't flat wear seven. a suit, man, if I had no, to. No, <laughs> right? Like, bluegrass actually is, like, way playful. Like, yeah. Where's that, where'd that formality come in? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you know, it, for some reason, it's always, like, harkened back to Bill, you know, at, at a certain point of, yeah. you know. And I don't know what Tony, I think Tony would have probably done that. And I think he, he drew a lot of influence from, you know, 50s era, Miles Davis, you know. Right, very formal. Um, very and. Very. Because, I mean, I've heard that a lot, that, yeah, like, after every gig, he would listen to Miles and Coltrane to clear Whoa. his head, you know? Whoa, what? And, yeah, that's... That's intense. So he, you know, but I don't know what his... I, I, there's a great story that he wasn't really known for jamming at all, you know? It's like he, he did the gig, put the guitar up, and, and would leave. And uh, But there was one time that I guess he went to a jam and because Allison Krauss was at the jam. Oh, dude. And he even showed up at the jam and soon died. So <laughs> there was always formality with Tony, but, uh, <laughs> you know. We did some shows with Allison Krauss back in 2018. And, man, she would go up to soundcheck in, like, a Patagonia jacket, <laughs> yeah. like, sweatpants. And, like, right up to the show, she was chilling. Yeah, man. You know, I couldn't believe that. And she... That's just the idea of like either you have it or you don't. Like you don't need a suit and tie to, be, <laughs> yeah, to get exactly. into the superhero mode. Like that's an internal energy. Yeah. It's very real. Yeah, she uh she's got it. She's one of those that just it's so effortless, you know. Just it's, walks up to a microphone and Yeah, dude. Kills it. Yeah. Gee, know? man, it's unreal. I think she has like the most Grammys too. I think so, yeah. It's like twenty seven Grammys. That's a lot. It's a Technically a shit ton of Grammys. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Technically a shit ton. Yeah, I mean that's she's amazing, man. Um, that's man. The thing that I've really like, the thing that's weird about listening to players as you grow as a human, 
like especially you, like you've had, like think about like when you first started listening to Tony Rice and think of how different of a of, of you are Trey Hensley now. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird to see how that figure in your life evolves. And so in respect to Jerry Garcia, like the first time I heard Jerry was not like, it wasn't like spring 1990 war frat. Yeah. He was like friend of the devil, Jerry. Yeah. And it's crazy to see like the one thing that remains unchanged in Jerry's playing as I listen to him more and more is just how playful he was, dude. Yeah. He was, that was his main priority was joy. Yeah. And playing. Sometimes yeah. to a fault, right? Because that's probably why he couldn't get sober in any way. Like, yeah. For, for any period of time, that was really worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an energy there that that is inspiring because, yeah, I mean, like you say, it's he had that fine line of of being a killer musician. I mean, I love his playing; he's great, you know. And but but he had fun. <laughs> you could tell he had, he had a lot fun of fun. Up there. You know? yeah. And I think that band just always sounded like they were having fun. I mean, at a certain point, it became this organization and that was huge. But even yeah, you, you know, 1990 spring stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like that stuff's untouchable for, you know, that that kind of music and that scene. And um, and so it's definitely an inspiring. And I, I like to bring bits of that, just the spirit of it, just because, you know, it's like I like to, to really improvise. and You, you know, really so do. So it's <laughs> yeah, sometimes to a fault, <laughs> you know, just get out and, and have nowhere to fall. But, oh, you wow. Know, but it's fun to, to do that, you know. Yeah. And at the end of the day, yeah, I have to remind myself not to take myself too seriously while I'm beating myself up. <laughs> That's the weird thing about this thing that people wouldn't understand unless you really are thinking about it, which is like if you're good at an instrument, that means like you know that you, you're capable of doing something on the instrument. That means like you hold yourself to a standard, but that's not like always a healthy thing to do. <laughs> Music isn't sports in that way. In yeah. contrast is what we were talking about earlier. It's like just because you like had a good gig last night doesn't mean you have a good gig tonight. No. It's like, it's, you could be really in your head and fuck things up. Yeah. And it's funny, the times that I think it's going to go really good are the times when it sucks, you know? Yeah. Dude. And uh, so I've, I just always think everything's going to go bad now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, preparing to fail. <laughs> just preparing that to Benjamin fail. Franklin, that's smart, man. Or was it Winston Churchill? It was like one of those. Oh, damn, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. They probably who knows. They didn't have iPhones. So they don't know That's right. It's Bill Monroe. He was. Bill, <laughs> I think Bill Monroe said that. That's great, dude. It's like uh, the, the thing that's like very wild to me that I think COVID was was good. It was like for me was like it's really all right to like it's actually smart to like seriously not take things seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like that show must be part of your job. Yes. It's like if I'm taking myself too seriously, I gotta quit this shit yeah. and step back a little. Yeah. Like two in my own mind. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. That is that's a hundred percent true. I think that that it has opened the gates up to um how everything works. You know, it's like it's we're still playing music for a living, you know. It it's in yeah. the at the grand scheme of things. Yeah. We might take it too seriously, but you know, I'm sure like you said, I'm sure Cherry Garcia wasn't sitting out there. Or maybe he was, but maybe I, I'd seriously doubt after the gig he was thinking for three hours, oh, I really messed up that one lick, you know. Like, who gives a shit? Uh, you know, it's it's over. It's done. It's, the game is is on to the next one. <laughs> mm, man, you have like at least that energy. Like I just got into the wormhole of what you did 
last year when I saw you play, because like you started sound checking, you had like the envelope filter on, and then I caught your guys a set, and it was just like you're just going for it. Like you're that's the way you play music. It's like you just put the pedal to the floor and you just go and you see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Has it always been that way for you? Is that is that that approach yeah. that you've had? I mean, I feel like it. Well. I don't know. You know, it's like... And your live stuff is way different than the studio stuff. Yeah, it is for sure. It's, um, you know, we record live and I've always mm. done my records just totally live in the studio. You know, we've never... You cut them fast? Yeah. It was like the, the last World Full Blues record. Yeah. It was basically two days of tracking, I think. No you time. Know? And then after that, just overdub background vocals, you know. No time. And yeah. that was it, you know. Insane. You cut so vocals live too? Yeah. Yep, do Insane. all the vocals live, and uh, we haven't overdubbed anything like a, any instrument or vocal, other than the background vocals in three records. Yeah, for sure. What? So it's just yeah, and you know I like that. That's the way that came from the Tony Rice school, which came from the Miles Davis school. Yeah, it's like I got to the point with Tony. Yeah, I've heard stories like that Bella Fleck Drive record that he was playing, that he played on. What's that? It's just this amazing record that's, you know, it's got uh, Mark O'Connor and Sam Bush and Bela. Mark O'Connor's not even a fucking human. <laughs> yeah. It's like know, Apple. On everything, you know. It's like Elon Musk made him. Uh, he is. It doesn't make any insane, sense. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I've heard Tony would do one take of those, those songs, you know. And that was it. Like, you, get, you get the take. And I mean, it's killer. It's amazing. It's the best stuff ever. But... Um, and we, and I, we kind of work like that. Like we'll do, you know, two, three takes at the most and um, wow. go back two weeks later and listen to them, pick the one that works. Oh. And that's the one that's on the record. <laughs> Weird. You're li- so you let the space speak for itself. Yeah. And that's another thing. It's like it's it's important for me especially to get away from it for a while. Wow. Well, give to you To do it and then leave it alone for two weeks because wow. I mean, even a day, like if I let a day go and I listen back to it, the stuff that bothered me the day before, I don't even hear it. Isn't that weird? Like you are ever changing as a human, yeah. but the music itself isn't. Yeah. It's like, it, obviously it didn't change, you know, it didn't fix itself, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, but yeah. in that moment, you know, I'll hear it. And then when I go back and I listen for it, I can't hear it. So I'll know mm. that it's like, I could sit and overwork myself or overdub and lose all the feeling of it. And, uh, that's a scary thing too. Is like the more you work in on something after it's been captured, you t- you're kind of taking the life out of it. Yeah, you do, man. I mean, if you listen to that uh, that nitty gritty dirt band record, uh, the Circle record, you know, oh, and Roy Acuff says that at the beginning of uh, yeah. Wreck on the Highway or whatever, he says, you know, we're going to take one take of this and that's it. Everything and he even says it like that. You know, if you take more than one take, everything after that loses. Is like ten percent. Yeah, he's like, signed some bullshit to listen to it. <laughs> it's like he is so scientific, good. man. He's yeah. got it figured out. <laughs> I loved that. I actually got it. We got a chance to do several shows with them last year, and yeah. um, a lot of those like eight hour drives, yeah. go sound check, and their <laughs> tour manager definitely got in my face after a show one night. We went five minutes over the show, and it was just like <laughs> it was a terrible feeling to be yelled at in front of the nitty gritty dirt band. Yeah, and then Jeff was like. He's like, don't sweat it. That guy's just kind of being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff's the nicest guy ever, man. He's he's a cool dude. I asked him about that. I'm like, what was your guys' philosophy? And he, I think it came back down to something where it was like, he like quoted like, he it was like attitude and timing. Yeah. And it's like, that's it. It's well, like, don't worry about overdoing it. Is the attitude there and how's the timing? 
Yeah. It's like, whoa, you just changed the game for me. Yeah, man. I mean, well, look at that record. It's like they they went into We just had a writing session with Jeff about a month ago. Where, out in Forest Hills? Well, we did it Zoom, you know. Yeah. And so. I, those Zoom rides can be okay. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's a learning curve like everything else, but. You know, it's it's been great, and um, but that one was just like asking Jeff questions. You know, it's like and because we've been around him a few times, and but I'm just I love that I love their music so much, and then you know in particular that record, it's the one. And you know, it's like they had Earl on board, and that brought legitimacy for Jimmy Martin and Roy Acuff and all those others. But uh, I mean, yeah, I just love how they left everything on there and. And that one being, you know, they do everything one or two times, and that's what you hear. And it's like the best, those are the best sounding Jimmy Martin takes ever, you know. Yeah, even in contrast to Jimmy's own music. Yeah. Yeah. Those are like the takes of, you know, and it, and I love Jimmy Martin's music. I love the, you know, all of his records, but. Yeah. But yeah, he definitely, it definitely brought something out of him and all those pickers you know well, i wonder what that is like i wonder why like i think it was like a 50th anniversary last year too yeah of that album and it was like they were selling like will the circle be on broken t-shirts and like they were selling those t-shirts and they were selling like just like you know ngdb shirts and hats and yeah like everyone who went to the merch booth bought those shirts yeah and i'm thinking it's like why is it that the 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 in music when the people who that are just so good that when those people try the least and they just let who they are be put to tape, and they let that go out into the world. Why is that the thing that lives the longest? Yeah. Like, why is that the thing that's like the most pungent? <laughs> yeah. Like, why is it the dead? Like, is their best-selling albums are live albums? Yeah. It's like, what's the deal with that? Yeah, man, it makes sense. I mean, it. It's. I think it harkens back to that real thing, you know. It's, yeah. And even though the studio records are great, there's just something about real people. And hearing mistakes, you know, or, yeah. you know, there's, there's, well, I heard there's, you know, the Merle Haggard quote about why that. he hated music, you know, why he hated any recorded music that was too perfect. You know, it's like he, he said something about, what? you used to be able to hear Elvis breathe on records. And, uh, oh. and that was it, you know, it was like he, and I heard that about, he was doing some overdub on, that is some OG stoner. Yeah, I mean, that's like... <laughs> that's like way before Sgt. Pepper getting stoned listening to records. If you could hear Elvis breathe. If you're wonder, did you hear for... Elvis breathe in that left headphone? <laughs> he breathes a little harder right here than he did a few minutes ago. <laughs> but, I mean, and I've heard, you know, there's some other story about him talking about those Elvis records and, mm. and like you could hear Elvis walking around. Like the drums would get louder at a certain point. Wow. And it was because he was probably walking around, you know. But Oh, and he's bringing his microphone? Yeah, on? just walking around with the microphone, and, you know. And he's not thinking because he, again, he's not too in his own head. He's not giving many fucks. Yeah. He's letting himself be Elvis. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and there's some, well, those, those Hag records, man, they're, Dude. they're little moments that, if and especially like Roy Nichols playing, oh yeah, it's just off the charts and it's unreal. But I'm sure there were moments of, I think of like Old Man from the Mountain that oh. you know it's like if they would have probably listened back, they might have taken one more take on it, you know, because it's a little, it can get a little hairy in spots. Yeah, but it's so perfect and it sticks out. You know, even those imperfections make it make me like that more than you know if they would have redone it 
15 times and it would have been sonic. You just, every note would have been perfect. Yeah. And that's why I hate just, you know, recording the click tracks. I mean, I do a lot of sessions and stuff. So it's oh yeah a lot of that. But that's the thing too. It's like weird because like we're making a lot of music, like not in our own artistic endeavors, but when we're getting paid to pe- play on people's records, I like don't love tracking with a. I don't love like when the engineer's like, yeah, give me that four more times. Yeah, it's like I played it perfectly. Yeah, like on the chorus, like I, I'm literally just strumming a G chord. How many yeah. times do you need me to strum a chord? Or yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's like, like even if it's right, they're not even listening for it to be right. They're just you have to do four of them, so we'll have options. And that's what do you mean options? You know, it's the like fuck. Yeah, this this is your option. <laughs> this, is, this is option number one and two. Yeah, yeah so, right. You know, it's it, weird. It is a weird thing. We're really making music not a th- like we're making it way too binary. <laughs> and I hate just not being in the same room with everybody. You know, that's, that's hard with thing. acoustic instruments, though. It is. You know, yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, we we did it on that Worldful Blues record. It's just wow. You know, so we had me and Rob were. I mean, as close as me and you are. What? And uh, no so baffle. what, about three feet? Not yeah, even. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not even. And then, yeah, Bub was over in the corner in the same room. What? Two drummers. So we had John Alvey and uh, Giovanni Rodriguez was playing oh, percussion. Oh, dude, what? And they were in, you know, they, they had a... Amazing In players. a separate little re- room, but, you know... Still Did you have line room. of vision? Could you see them when yeah, you're Yeah, we track? see everybody. That's yeah. very crucial to be yeah. able to see everybody. Because especially a drummer, you got to be able to see <laughs> yeah. how they're leaning into it or not. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it, I mean, I love doing that. And there's a shit ton of bleed, you know, but yeah, it works. It's going to happen. It's, you know, it's like my girlfriend, like, uh, her grandmother, she, she, we love Elvis. Like, we yeah. talk, we, like, we, fucking like dance to Elvis <laughs> yeah. like records and it's like we love it and her grandmother like met Elvis at a show and like went backstage and like made out with him <laughs> and I was thinking it's like and she talked about that she like still oh yeah that's like a, doesn't stop talking that's about it and I'm thinking like wait 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 a second the people like who are going to be talking about you after you're gone do not give a fuck about microphone bleed yeah they don't even they don't even they can't even they don't have the imagination to even think that that matters yeah and it's like <laughs> when did somebody can't come along and tell you to like not have fun with this whole process i know and it's like the idea of microphone like who really cares <laughs> yeah. like really who cares yeah like, when i first heard guns and roses paradise city i was not thinking like i wonder what room the yeah. amps were in <laughs> well slash would have had to been in a separate room you know yeah. he overdubbed that part yeah. for sure <laughs> yeah it's, it doesn't matter you know apparently like uh, on welcome to the jungle when they get into that whole like orgasm slidey birdie part <laughs> slash was like fucking around oh and really he had a ring on it's not a slide it's like a metal ring uh-huh um it's like a silver band yeah and he was just say fuck it yeah i'm just gonna play it <laughs> And then it turns out to be like the most iconic part of the Yeah, man. Like, man. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, you never know when <laughs> you're going to get, you know, when magic's going to strike. Too, that's another thing about tracking live. Wow. You know, wow. magic happens when there's more than one person. It's hard to make magic happen when you're just sitting in there by yourself <laughs> strumming for three minutes. Tommy you know? Manuel makes it happen. He does. Now, and Tommy can make magic out of I thin air, get, though. Yeah, it's like that's literally a magi- like a magician. Like yeah. people like don't think of it that way. <laughs> it's like. Tommy Literally. is, man. He is, he is very much a, a magician. And yeah, just 
we did a, a tour with him and, and David Grisman a couple years ago. Whoa, he toured and the dog? Yeah, rode, rode the bus with those guys. And Tommy, it, uh, his, he's another one that his worth it, work ethic is just unreal, you know. Yeah, my friend Jess was his day-to-day. Oh, yeah, man. Jess, yeah, Jess. You is, know Jess. He's yeah, he was on the bus. <laughs> Jess is on the bus. And he's the man. Like, he he's, wants to provide service and, and provide value to everybody. And that's yeah. like a good reminder, like, when you're on tour for everyone who, like, tours. Don't be a dick. Like, try to always bring value to everyone you're encountering. It's like, that makes you a better player. It does, man. And, and it's like... And I tell you, I mean, it's just so... It's such a tight-knit community that it's like it... If you're if you're that person to one person, it gets... It just, you know, it's like it seems like it gets around so quick that it, you Faster know... Faster than you know. <laughs> it's before Faster. you get off the bus, everybody yeah. in the business knows how you are. <laughs> and so... But yeah, man... Tommy would just get up. He would be sitting there playing his guitar at eight o'clock every morning. Really, just playing? Was, yeah, just playing. You know, and he would sometimes he'd sit up front where the bus driver was, and so no, he wouldn't wake up anyone. He wouldn't. Yeah, just you know, just him with that uh, Maiden guitar, Matano, and yeah. you know, with a, a mute in it. And wow, you know, Grisman, in the sound hole. Yeah, so it wow. was very quiet, you know. But just sitting there in front of him, you know, it was unreal because he just he does these things that it's very musical and then yeah there's this element of how the hell are you doing i mean it's very magical and and just tommy is unreal but he's he's one of my favorites for sure yeah to get to hang around him has been really cool and uh but it's definitely there's this magician quality you know but he was working at it huh oh yeah he's just always playing yeah i mean and i i think it's part of it and it's like when i'm sitting around the house i'll have to I always have a guitar sitting out. That yeah, of course. Whether I consider it practice or not, I'm always just kind of fooling around with it. I think that's practice. Yeah, I mean, People you know. always ask me, like, do you have a regiment? It's like, well, when I was younger, I did. But yeah. like, now it's just like playing legitimately is getting better. Yeah. You know? Yeah, as long as you're getting your fingers on the yeah. fretboard, you're doing something, you know. It's wild, though. You know, hearing about Tommy, it's like... um I have a friend of mine, Joe Robinson, on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Joe's, you know, Joe's amazing, yeah. Very amazing. But he's a very regimented guy. Yeah. I'm, like, he wakes up something at, like, 4 in the morning and doesn't... <laughs> yeah. And, like, does all this. And I, I honestly have my own views on whether that actually is good for your creative soul. I yeah. don't think it is. Yeah. Um, to be that regimented with your whole life. Because you can't help but not try to let some magic in at that point because you're restricting yourself in yeah. the moment. Yeah. It becomes a job at yeah. a certain point. Yeah. Like, why make your whole life a job if you're not some CEO? Yeah. Like, why do you have to do that? Like, your job is music. That's one thing that. about Tommy that's really inspiring is that it's it seems to make him happy when nobody was listening. You know, that that's is the cool thing. Like, he was just sitting up there playing for the bus driver, not even knowing anybody else was behind him, you know, one of those mornings. And it just seemed like he was as happy as if he would have been on stage with, you know, if there's 5,000 people watching him. Wow. And so that's cool, man. I mean, that I, I never want the guitar to not do that. Wow. And, I, you know, I don't think it will, but if it ever does, it's time to check yourself out of reality because if Tommy can do that, then we all yeah. can, you know. I would love to pick his brain because it's like when you're just playing for the joy of it, that's the hard thing. I think we've hit on something real. It's like, which we've hit on several real things, but it's like, it really is about playing for the, just the joy of playing. Yeah. But it's so hard to make that your, your main priority as you start incorporating elements of, of rent. Yeah. Of career ascension. <laughs> yes. Like aging. Yeah. Like all of these things, those are trying to kill the main source of energy that is joy. 
but you need to keep that joy very protected. Yeah. Like, like a like a like a marsupial. Yeah, man. And it's like that is tough to do, man. <laughs> yeah. That is hard. That's yeah. fucking tough. But Tommy does it. You can feel it. You can. It's there's something to it that you know, and I know he spent a lot of time with Chet, and you know, I never, I never mm-hmm. met or saw Chet. I, Same. I, I guess he passed away in early two thousand, so that would have been right around the time I started playing guitar. Yeah, we were born just a millimeter off. Yeah, you know, it's like we just barely missed it. But you know, I know that was a big part of Tommy, and he spent a lot of time with Chet. You know, and I always kind of got that with Chet's music. You know, I'm, I'm not the biggest Chet expert, but just seeing him play, he was very, you know poised but it always seemed like he was having fun and he you know so i wonder if where tommy got that from i know just talking to him for a little bit i mean those guys him and his brother played five hours every day doing gigs you know i mean every single day really which you know i know a lot of of nashville people do that anyway you know down on broadway you ever picked down on broadway much i have i mean when i first moved to town I'm ninety percent of what I do is acoustic these oh, days. Yeah. So doing the telly gig down there, it was it was fun, but uh, it's not your main voice. It, it wasn't, you know. And so um, I was just, I, and not that I would pick one or the other. I like doing both, but um, yeah. It and then of course, you know, I, I started doing the stuff with Rob, which was more out of town stuff. Which is better, really? It was, like, you know, it's like it's. I know a lot of guys that do both, but. I wasn't in like a particular, it was basically like a, a pickup, you know, somebody needed a guitar player for the night, you know, uh-huh. so it never ended up me being like with a band that played, you know. That sucks. Like this, like this musical speed dating is so hard. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so hard. It makes you not as good of a player. Like a lot of the time at least. Yeah. It, I've noticed like, so we played down at um, Roberts with the Don Kelly band for literally 464 shows. Yeah. So you have four hours a night with that same group of guys, you're going to be so good. <laughs> yeah, and man. I got let go from that gig, and then I went and, and played with other bands down there for, you know, people who didn't even know, like, who I was or anything. Yeah. And they'd be like, can you play this, can you play this Blake Shelton song? And it's like, yeah, like, I like those songs, but, like, I don't know this drummer. I don't know yeah. this bass player. Like, I don't know their tendencies. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. Like, the music's not as good. Yeah. It, it there definitely becomes a thing when it's a unit versus, yeah, you know, when you're dude. bringing somebody else in. And, yeah, I mean, it takes a minute for the for the jail to get. And I, it's funny because there's been times where it's like I'll sit in with a band and it just immediately feels great. But those yeah. times are few and far between. How about know? Old Crow? Those guys seem Man, tight. it felt great. You know, it was yeah. like it's such a – a tight band. Is Corey still in that band? And yeah, Corey. And I saw him the other night at D's. He came out to Oh, cool, show man. He was hanging out there. Yeah, he's... Drinking Bellmead. <laughs> bourbon, my favorite bourbon, too. Like, he's great, man. I mean, that whole band is just, you know, they're... And, and they're that so was my tight. first time sitting in with him was How'd the that rhyming happen? gigs. I saw that on Instagram. I'm like, that is the amazing fit. Like, that is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really fun. And uh, no, I just, you know, Catch called me uh, a couple weeks before it happened, and I went over to the the... Old Crow headquarters there in East Nashville, and, and we picked just played a bunch of old time stuff, you know, for sure. a couple hours, and um, and then yeah, I wanted enough to come out and play a couple songs on the the rhyme. So they were doing four gigs. So the first gig I, I played probably half the set. Wow, wow. And then the the last three I just played the whole set. You know, it's like so it was. I mean, I'm familiar with those tunes, but I haven't played them. You know, so it's like 
getting thrown into the, it's the deep end. Way. But it's great, man. I mean, that's how you that's how you learn. That really you know? is how like you want to talk about practice. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's and really- listening, you know, it's like you want to talk about really listening wow. for nuance. Go play with the band. Especially a well-oiled machine that those guys are. They have literally decades together, yeah. too. Yeah, and so it's like... Are you going to do more throw. work with them? Yeah, I mean, I'm playing... You know, I played a show with them, or with Catch and, and half of Old Crow, Third um, and Lindsley, Thursday or Friday, and uh, or last, of last that. week. That, yeah, and that was fun. That was great. That. That's dope. And, uh, yeah, so I think I'll play some more with them, you know. Dude, whenever. that's an amazing... Yeah, it's a great band, and... and um, yeah, love love working with them. So that's that's cool. Great, dude. Are you working on anything else right now? Yeah, I mean, Rob and I are about halfway done with our new record, um, which is taking longer just because we started it. We did one day of tracking, so half the record's done. <laughs> <laughs> but that was back that's in great. you know July. Oh um, wow! And then we just kind of oh, stopped wow. working. We've been working with uh, Brent Mayer. He's been our producer for the past uh, well, the last record. And, he has um, a lot of bluegrass. He's amazing, man. Yeah. He's done his his career is just unreal. I mean, Duke Ellington, yep. Chuck Berry, Elvis. He did Elvis's last hit, uh, "Way Down." Yeah, he did "Way Down." There's a great story about that. Um, What's that? Where <laughs> you cool. know, the, Elvis was supposed to come to Nashville to record mm-hmm. it, so they had all these tapes from the Jungle Room of those guys practicing it. And uh, and so for like a week, Elvis had scheduled at Brent's studio, you know, for, for them to record this song. And so he liked to work, I guess, at night, you know, so he'd, he'd tell the guys to get there at 2, and then he wouldn't get there till 10. Holy shit. But he never showed up oh. <laughs> all week long. And oh, wow. so at the end of the week, he said he was going back to Graceland or whatever. And, uh, and so the band went in and played a track. Right. And then Brent pieced together so that his vocal of that record, and there's a great, I think there's like a magazine or something that tells about this, like the whole story that, that Brent just recently did. But they, I mean, they literally pieced together rehearsal tapes of Elvis singing that song. So his vocal is all rehearsal tape Whoa. while the band tracked live to that. So he like basically built just a vocal track. Yeah. The band played along to this yeah. vocal track. And then that was the hit, you know. And, and he said it was he, a hit song. Yeah, he of was. Course. I mean, it was his last number one. Yeah. And Brent just said he was so discouraged by it that he didn't listen to it up until like four years ago. And he walked into a record store like he hated. It. He said if it ever came on the radio, he would immediately turn it off. That's just weird. because it was such. I guess it was just a bad experience, and you know. And I don't think he felt like he, it was. He was proud of it just because you know it's, that was a, a feat. I'm sure getting. One vocal take from rehearsal tapes. Dude, way different now when you can just <laughs> yeah. get the stems. Yeah, that's you on this Dropbox. is splice. You know, you're splicing like, it with a fucking razor cutter. Yeah, like, man. Oh man, that's and crazy. It's so to hear him tell it. But he said he walked into a record shop in Colorado and they were playing it, and uh, and it just changed his whole opinion on it. He said yeah, it was, it, he loved it, and and but yeah, I mean to work with all those people, and then yeah, all the. Wow, he did all the Judd stuff and yeah. Merle and Willie and the Judd stuff um, is literally that is nineties country. Yeah, I mean that, like, that is the sound. It's got the sound all over it, you know. And but Brent's great, man, and he's he's always pushing, you know. And, and that's, that's important so to have that energy. It is, man. It's cool yeah. to work with with people that 
that are on the same page and don't want to just, <laughs> you know, put the click track on. And it's, that's another thing. It's like no click tracks, no, no, not even in charts. You know, we don't, nobody uses charts. You got to know the songs so before coming in. We, we have to know the songs beforehand. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Like why, why do, why put, why push that button if you don't know the songs, you know? Unbelievable. So, that's the wisdom. Yeah, that's, I mean. Why push that button if you don't know the songs? <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. I guess I'm saying it like everyone's like, well, yeah, we can get more songs done faster and and we can get them to be tighter. And it's like, but who's to say in five, 10 years, it's actually better for the music that you do that? Yeah, it's, it's not like, going to be. Yeah. It's not going to be. <laughs> I was talking with Dan Auerbach. When he cuts a band, they do three songs a day. Yeah. And that's a lot. That is a lot. I mean, that's a whole lot. It's like, fuck. I'm doing demo sessions for some people though, where we do four songs in a in in four hours. Yeah, it's like man, it's not the vibe. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's a totally different thing. It's a different animal. And like I said, I mean, you know, who's to say what's? I I know what's better. <laughs> I feel like I know what's better. You know, or what I like to listen to at least. Um, but you know, and, and then there's some case. I'm sure in certain genres you can't really do that. Obviously, you know, you've right. got your, you know, that the Tame Impala guy or whatever that you know, Kevin Parker that. That takes a while. <laughs> I'm sure that takes a yeah. while. He but is. he's not cutting, you know, any. That's one guy. Yeah. That's a whole different beast. Man, what you do is just so beautiful, man. I really appreciate you coming in here. And, uh, well, and man, it's right back at you. I, I love your playing. And, Thank uh, you. And so, yeah. This I hope is, we can pick together cool. sometime. Me too, man. <laughs> Damn, man. Are you, so are you playing anywhere in town anytime soon? Nah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it's. Now is also a weird time. <laughs> it is. January. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, uh, we had some gigs around March but you know who knows oh we'll see <laughs> well man I can't wait to hear the, the new record alright man I'll be sure and get you a copy go to YouTube type in Trey Hensley pick any video and see the 10,000 hours and the patience and the persistence and the just raw genius that lays uh, within his guitar playing I'm a huge fan Ser- sincerely and truly thank you guys for listening to this podcast episode um, follow us on Spotify subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts uh, watch on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube. Join the Cosmic Country Club at danieldonato.com. Support us on Patreon. Those could be the two best things that you could do post-podcast-wise because you'll be able to get in on this Cosmic Country merchandise that I'm wearing and you get to hear the new record that we're working on and finalizing literally within the next two weeks before anyone else in the entire world does. Stay patient, stay persistent, stay pr- positive, y'all. See y'all next time. <laughs>